talking local sports. Late at night. It's the John Chuckery Show. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcons Flyover. With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Back in the key studios on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. John Chuckery Show here with you. 404 741 0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. The Odyssey app is how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, you can give me a follow on my personal Twitter page. Best way to keep up with the show at JMCH316. We will talk with Lauren Williams, the Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, in about 20 minutes from right now. But this is your night look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So the Falcons did sign one of their own today. They retain their long snapper, uh, Liam McCullough. Um, now, I know that those aren't sexy signings and different things like that. But, you know, Josh Harris was a pretty good long snapper for his time here. So I, I and listen, my guy Harper LaBelle, right, was a long snapper. So you know, if you get a guy and you feel confident with him, you don't want to start changing those kinds of things up. And they signed uh, Liam McCullum. So that's their first, I guess, free agent signing, right? That's that's their first big signing. Now, did you see earlier today that Taylor Lewan was cut from the Titans? And then automatically speculation about, well, will he reunite with Arthur Smith and, and all that kind of stuff? Okay, here's what I say. If, if you can't work out a deal with Caleb McGarry, because I am not, despite what, I am not franchising Caleb McGarry. Not putting him for $18.3 million on the cap next year just to franchise him. I'll take the four for 50 coming off that season. I'll take the four for 50 if I can get it. Right away, I'll sign him tomorrow. But if not, if it can't be worked out, no long-term deal, no sort of anything, rather than putting him at $18.3 million on the cap with a franchise tag, I'd roll the dice on a Taylor Lewan. Now, he's a little bit older, coming off injury, basically on a one-year kind of show-me deal, you can move him to right tackle. And isn't it funny? You know, the draft that Jake Matthews was picked in, you know, that was Taylor Lewan, Jake Matthews, and who was the – who was uh, Greg – oh, who was the – was it Greg Robinson, the tackle out of uh, Auburn? I think that was the three guys that were in the mix. can't remember if it was Greg Robinson or not, but the tackle out of Auburn that went to the Rams, ended up going to the Rams. But that was the three guys, and – you know, a lot of people may look back and, you know, have revisionist history and things like that, but maybe the Falcons should have picked Taylor Lewan. But I, if if I can't sign McGarry to a good deal and rather than franchise him, I would not mind rolling the dice on a Taylor Lewan if I don't have another solution and move him to right tackle. And, again, those guys can play left or right. Taylor Lewan's the kind of player – he could play right tackle. And I, I, I wouldn't, what's that? I was going to say it was Greg Robinson. Okay, yeah. So even though I'm brain dead, 
I can still remember some of these things, right? Every so often, we, we remember some of these things. But that would be my plan B. And I still might draft a high-caliber tackle that I could live with Taylor Lewan for a year on a show-me deal, groom my rookie, and get him ready to play. That may not be the best way to do it, but if there's not a lot of great options out there. Again, my thought is you have to you, you, you get Caleb McGarry back and, and sign him in the fold, and he's here for a few years. Not five or six, but he's here for a few years. That would be option number one. But you always have to have a backup plan, right? And option number two might be a Taylor Lewan, and maybe you still draft, like I said, a first or second round guy and and groom him for a year, and then, you know, Taylor Lewan moves on on a one-year show-me deal. So, again, I hopefully that they can work out a deal with McGarry, and hopefully they are not going to franchise tag him. Um, I would not understand any of that. Um, Drake London had some self-assessment as uh, he talked about uh, his uh, his season that he thought he had. Asked uh, about London's evaluation. He said, decent. Uh, ain't, ain't nothing more than decent. Nothing less than decent. There's a lot left on the table personally for me that I think I can do better. A lot of learning curves, learning moments that I've had that I can grow from. So I wouldn't sit up here and tell you, oh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted this year, This this uh, the year that I wanted. But at the same time, I'm not going to tell you that I had a terrible year. You know what I'm saying? With that being said, I look at it as decent. I'm doing my job. I'm doing it somewhat well for my circumstances. And that's all I can do to go forward from there and just keep progressing. Well, obviously, for the majority of the season, it was Marcus Mariota who didn't really have any connection with Drake London. And when it comes to wide receivers and, you know, tight ends and stuff like that, I don't put all the blame on them because you got to have your quarterback be able to feed you the football. But once Drake Lund- or once um, Desmond Ritter took over in the last four games, you saw those targets work their way up. You saw more balls go to him. You saw more targets go to him. And, and it really did become a really – and I even tweeted this out. I was like, wow, that's a they're, they're making a pretty good connection with Desmond Ritter and Drake London. That's becoming a pretty good connection. So if Desmond Ritter is the starting quarterback, and, you know, hopefully that, that all works itself out, but if he's the starting quarterback this year, hopefully they pick up from – what they did at the end of last year. Hopefully that momentum carries into next season and they have that same chemistry and they're on the same page because, look, with all due respect, and I'm saying this with all due respect, if we're taking wide receiver at eight, it needs to be Jamar Chase. I know Joe Burrow and Desmond Ritter aren't necessarily on the same planet, but you better be Jamar Chase. Because I passed up defensive ends, offensive linemen, everybody. You get, you know, I passed up the world to go get a, a wide receiver. It better be Jamar Chase at that point. And that's not all on London, 
but there has to be that connection with quarterback and wide receiver. All right, let's do a mock. This is from CBS Sports. Uh, Garrett Podell, uh, he's an NFL writer for them. He's got his mock. Uh, First pick of the draft, he's got Jalen Carter, Bryce Young, number two to Houston, Will Anderson, number three to the Cardinals, C.J. Stroud, number four to uh, the Colts, Tyree Wilson uh, to the uh, Seahawks at five, uh, Devin Witherspoon, uh, definitely a guy that the, you know, has been linked to potentially the Falcons. Really good cover corner out of uh, Illinois. Uh, number six to the Lions. Will Levis at seven to the Oakland Raiders or whatever they're called now, the El Segundo Raiders or whatever they're known as now. And then number eight, he's got the Atlanta Falcons taking uh, Miles Murphy, defensive lineman out of Clemson. By the way, too, interesting He's got Anthony Richardson going nine to the Carolina Panthers. Brother, sign me up for that. Because I don't think Anthony Richardson is a top ten. I I know the upside, and I get all of that. But there's a big learning curve that's associated with Anthony Richardson. So you want to draft Anthony Richardson if you're the Carolina Panthers? Brother, sign me up for all of that. Here's what he says about Murphy. Murphy's one of the youngest prospects in the draft. Turning 21 in January, he's got all the physical gifts required to be a dominant defensive player down the road for the Falcons uh, for a team that had the second fewest sacks in the NFL last season. So, look, at least it's the right position so we can put Garrett Podell on the good list. Right? We can can stick him on, on the good list because it's not a guy who stands, you know, 10 yards away from anything. Not Joey Porter Jr. or... Devin Witherspoon or one of these guys that stands 10 yards away from where the ball is spotted. So I'm okay with that pick. It's It's got to be either offensive or defensive line or, or C.J. Stroud. Let me put it that way. C.J. Stroud, offensive line or defensive line. If it's anything other than that, then I'm going to be disappointed because we'll now have gone three years in a row without addressing the single biggest solitary need and the thing that is holding this franchise back from getting on track. You better be good at that point of the football on that line of scrimmage. So there you go. Right position, and I don't have a problem with the player. All right, when we get back, we will talk to Lauren Williams. She is the Hawks beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. What she has to say next about the fallout from all of the Nate McMillan stuff. Chuck Reed in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio 929 The Game, the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 929 The Game. Now you can listen to the game anywhere in the world. Just go to radio.com and stream us anytime. Using the internet. Stay connected to Atlanta Sports 24 7. Only at radio.com and the radio.com app. Streaming live now. Sports Radio 929 The Game. Radio, 
92.9 The Game. It is the John Chuckery Show live on this Wednesday evening with you as we continue with the fallout from the Atlanta Hawks firing Nate McMillan. Of course, Landry Fields had his press conference today. He joined our midday show with Andy and Randy earlier on this afternoon as well. So still lots of storylines, and we'll try to figure out as we regroup for regroup Friday night uh, taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline, Atlanta's Ford dealer. Let's talk to the beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Lauren Williams. She covers the Atlanta Hawks. AJC.com is where you can catch all of her work. You can follow her on her Twitter page, at WilliamsLaurenL. And as always, Lauren, appreciate it. Uh, listen, I know it's been busy and it's been crazy yeah. the last couple of days, but listen, you're hanging in there and doing a good job with all of this. Thank you. You know, it's, um, I would say just like the timing of everything came as a shock. I think we all anticipated that Nate would not be back with the team next season, but I don't think we at all expected that the team would be moving on from him with just 23 games left in the season. Well, here's my first question to you. So I I heard the clips from John Collins, DeJounte Murray, Mm -hmm. Clint Capella. You know, they all spoke Mm -hmm. to the media today and they all talked about accountability and they could Mm -hmm. play better and do this and do that okay then why didn't they do it when Nate McMillan was the coach why why did they wait until the coach was fired to come out Mm -hmm. and say these kinds of things I mean I think that's the thing that just kind of boggled my mind about why we waited till this moment after he's fired to kind of help Mm -hmm. some have some self-reflection or self-accountability yeah, I think John Collins kind of, and even Clint Capello said it best, it seemed as though the messaging or the way that they would try to, he would try to get his message across just wasn't reaching the team. And when you have a, a coach that has lost the locker room, and I, I'm not sure how much he can accomplish on the court and it seemed that he as a coach recognized that especially with all of the reports that mentioned him looking to step away from his role as the head coach of the team but you know the team deciding not to accept that resignation so of course you want to see these guys compete when they have the coach that they do have but Landry Fields acknowledged it as well in his uh his interview with Jeff Schultz um in the athletic a couple of days ago that they needed a fire lit under their butt, and maybe now it's it's just a matter of they needed a new voice to kind of get the messaging across. So to your point, though, mm-hmm. if we knew a few weeks ago that that he was looking to resign and things like that, if you mm-hmm. were just if you were just going to fire him two or three weeks later, why didn't they just accept his resignation at the time? Yeah, and and that's what I asked Landry Fields at this this morning's press conference, and he said that. He, that Nate McMillan never expressed that to him, Landry Fields. He said if he'd been expressing that to other people around the, the organization, that it's best that I take that, that question up to Nate. And whenever I have asked Nate uh, McMillan about it, he also denies or, or dances around the topic of whether or not he was trying to resign. But it's hard to believe that those conversations did not come up because it's, it's where there's smoke, where there's fire, right? Um, so it's, it's an interesting situation where nobody wants to address whether or not Nate wanted to step down or why the team waited to, to move on from him now, but it's, it's very odd timing. And, um, now they're just, it seems focused on getting the guy that they, they believe will take them to the finals. And as we've seen, Quinn Snyder is at the top of that list. Um, we'll see if they're able to, to make that happen. Um, 
especially with how everything has unfolded this season. Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Lauren Williams, joining us on the waitboard.com hotline. So what do you think a realistic timetable for finding mm-hmm. a new coach is? I mean, I know Landry Field said on one hand, well, we could hire somebody immediately, but then again he said, mm-hmm. well, it could also be summertime. So what yeah. do you think is a realistic – I mean, let me put it this way. Is Joe Prunty pretty much going to coach out the rest of this season, do you believe? If I'm a betting woman and I'm not really much of a gambler, <laughs> I, I would say that Joe Prunty finishes out the season. It's just it's hard for me to realistically see them be able to bring in someone unless they're willing to spend big money, which Landry Fields did say in his press conference that, you know, they have the backing of the of the ownership group to do. But it, it's just realistically hard for me to to believe that they will be able to get that, even if it is Quinn Snyder who isn't in a head coaching position right now, but you would hope that they'll field as many candidates as possible to find the right person, even though they do have a specific person in mind. And especially with a few of those coaches that were on that list, still on teams who are expected to be in the playoffs, it could be a little bit of time before we actually see them make a decision on who will take up the mantle of being the head coach of the Hawks. So realistically, I would anticipate more in a summer uh, hiring than than them being able to actually find what they're looking for right now. But this team has shown uh, that they they operate at a, a very different speed or a different pace, and they can surprise us again and, and maybe find the person that they're looking for and bring them in right away. I mean, we've seen it before in Minnesota where they fired Ryan Saunders midseason and then they brought in Chris Finch right away. So it's we'll see what happens <laughs> but realistically i think summer is is when we see that announcement well and again i guess with with 23 games left and whatever mm-hmm. you know happens in the playoffs what do you gain or what do you learn by bringing in your head coach now i guess uh, you yes. know versus trying to just you know with without bringing him in before free agency or the draft mm-hmm. or anything like that i mean what do you even gain by bringing in a guy let's say if it's a couple of few weeks from now what do you even gain mm-hmm. by bringing in a new coach at this point? I guess it just gives them the best sense of what the, what this roster is capable of and, and what direction that they're willing to move in. Um, granted, they can watch that from wherever they are <laughs> right now on TV and film and everything like that. But I guess you get boots on the ground and, and being able to actually make decisions on, okay, I, I would like to keep this guy on the roster. I think it's time that we move on from this guy. Um, but the Hawks are in a very unique situation where they don't have, they still don't have a ton of assets that would make making these trades um, a little bit easier. But again, we've seen that this, this organization kind of moves at a different speed or plays by different rules. So um, again, it just gives whoever they bring in, whichever candidate they bring in a, a solid boots on the ground, eyes on the ground idea of what it is um, is needed to make a championship caliber roster as uh, Landry Fields uh, said a lot today. Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Lauren Williams, joins us here on the waitforward.com hotline. I know what Landry Fields said, but mm-hmm. if realistically, how, how disenchanted or, or maybe at what point did they feel like that they were going to move on from Nate? Because if they're talking about hiring a coach, mm-hmm. you know, even in a few weeks or whatever like that, 
the reality is is that this just this just didn't pop up a few weeks ago, a month ago. This mm-hmm. this have this had to have been in the plans for quite a while at this point. I mean, if you're really talking about moving on from your coach and and you're pulling the trigger with 23 games left to go, yeah, I, I have to have a sense that this is something that happened way earlier in the year with mm-hmm. Nate McMillan and and where this franchise was headed. I mean, do you get that sense as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little inclined to speculate that, you know, even though I say uh, it's hard for me to imagine them being able to make a decision regarding this the direction that they want to go coaching wise uh, until the summer, I have to have believed that they have some inclination that you know their targets are going to be available and 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 at least willing to interview. Um, and that puts them in, a, I guess, a more comfortable position to say, all right, well, uh, we, we've moved on from our coach. But you have to remember that when Chris Vivlamore and I did our reporting last month, we did mention that they'd already been telling some player agents that Nate would not be back next season. And so the fact that they moved on a little bit sooner than that maybe gives some of these agents a little bit more um, a sense of security or a sense of that their clients will be happy with the re- with the direction that this team is moving in, and they'll be less inclined to want out. Um, so you have to wonder, as you mentioned, has this been in the works for a really long time? And if it, if I'm speculating, then my answer would be yes. It has been something that's been a moving part for a little bit longer than has been publicly said. But so, that is purely speculation. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, ha- I have my personal opinion, but I want to I want to yeah. figure out where, what you think. How mm-hmm. involved is Tony Ressler within the front office as far as this coaching hire goes? Um, I mean, yeah. w- with everything. I mean, I, I think that he is certainly an owner that wants to win. And, and everything yeah. I understand about him, he certainly wants to win. But it does feel mm-hmm. like he's been very involved and mm-hmm. maybe not as much initially with Travis, but it feels like, and I know Landry Field said on our midday show today, he's in charge of all the basketball operations. But yep. do you get the sense that this is going to have a lot of influence by Tony Ressler in this hire or things moving forward about the direction, how much money mm-hmm. they're going to spend? I mean, is that all about Tony Ressler? I'm inclined to believe that Tony Ressler has a very loud voice in in this decision making, or or a very strong voice, I would rather say than loud voice in this decision making. And even though yes, it ultimately comes down to Landry being the guy that makes has the final word. I, you have to believe that Tony has, you know, a lot of influence in terms of what he'd like to see in this organization, especially since he's the person that has the majority stake. And so. Um, yeah, I, I kind of have to agree with you that I'm inclined to believe that he has a very strong opinion in, in whatever happens going forward. Last question for you, Lauren, and we're joined mm-hmm. by Lauren Williams, Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Uh, you know, when you look at where this team is headed, and mm-hmm. I know that Landry said today that it's important to win and they're still trying to get to the playoffs. And, and he also said that they have the, the coaches have the ability to do whatever they've got to take the win. How do yes. you think this team responds starting on Friday? How do you think that – do they think about this as like a 
okay, it's a relief, it's a breath of fresh air, or listen, we're 23 games away from being on a banana boat for the season. I mean, <laughs> how do yeah. you think this team responds starting on Friday? Um, you know, I think we have a lot of prideful guys. And as you mentioned, when we started this conversation, why did it take them so long to kind of get here? But we've seen what they're capable of doing when they're all in. And I think they come out all in, especially because they do have a lot of pride. And um, I do believe they did have a good personal relationship with Nate McMillan, but just not a great professional one. And so now that there's a new, new voice, leading the way I think they come out a lot hungrier especially since they're coming off of a break they don't have these tired legs and um, you know this is a moment for them to really start putting the drama of this season behind them and, and turn the page and have a fresh quote-unquote start um, and even if the the season doesn't necessarily end the way that they may want it to if they can finish out strong then it, it carries over into the next one and um I still think that's a positive result. Uh, unfortunately, the drama has, uh, you know, kind of shadowed, overshadowed everything. And uh, the performance has been, in my opinion, a byproduct of all of the dysfunction that's been happening um, throughout the organization, not just with the coaching staff, but even in the front office. You can follow her on her Twitter page at Williams Lauren L. She is the Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, AJC.com to keep up with all of her work and all of the different things going on with the Atlanta Hawks. Lauren Williams joined us on the waitfor.com hotline. Lauren, as always, appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah. I know it's been busy and crazy, but um, yeah. we've still got a long way to go with uh, with this season and everything else surrounding this team. You can only hope it's every every way but up, right? <laughs> Anything, everything, all the way up from here. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. All right, John Shuckery, we'll be back. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and the Audison.com app. To more John Chuckery. Hey, folks, how you doing? Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you, Chuckery Show. Hanging out in Kia Studios Wednesday night with you. 404-741-0929. That is the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at JMCH316 on my personal Twitter, and we got Dom DeLuise producing uh, here tonight. So we'll spin the wheel tomorrow because we're in line to have a different producer. So for the next couple few weeks, we've we've got a cavalcade of stars producing the show. We should do something where, like, we have the the, the listeners guess who's going to be up next week. Yeah. Like the next day. Right. Like we should, we should do, we should do something like that. I right, think that'd be fun. Yep, you know, bust the deal, spin the wheel, and we'll see who who pops up on the uh, on the old chart. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. So, uh, if you missed our interview with Sam Mitchell, uh, and it was pretty good stuff, we'll um, excuse me, replay that at nine forty. So an hour from now, we'll replay what he had to say. Top of the hour, I'm going to take the answers from Landry Fields, and you know how we do it. And I did listen to the interview with Andy and Randy today, but. We're going to react to what Landry Fields had to say about uh, everything. So we'll get to that coming up at the uh, top of the 9 o'clock uh, hour. So, you know, Hawks back in action, and, you know, that'll be on Friday. Uh, we have the game right here, 7 o'clock pregame, 
7.30 tip, your new look Atlanta Hawks, and we'll see how motivated they are. Cleveland's a really good team, and Cleveland's fighting for everything that they can in the, um, you know, in the Eastern Conference. They sit in the four seed right now. So they are two and a half games up on the Brooklyn Nets. So they uh, – and, and look, they could even be the three seed when all is said and done. They're only two games back of Philadelphia. Uh, they've been outstanding at home, 25-6. and six. They haven't been very good on the road at 13-17. and 17. So you may be catching Cleveland, you know, where you catch them on the road, coming back from the all-star break, long layoff and – all those kinds of things might be a very good opportunity for the Hawks to pick themselves up a win. So we'll see coming up on Friday, but uh, we'll have all the action right here in the home of the Hawks, 92-9 the game. And I'll be on after the game, so we'll take you till midnight. And, um, you know, we'll react to what we see. You know, hopefully it's good results, and, you know, hopefully it's, uh, you know, a W. Um, Hawks' home record's got to get better. I mean, they're 15-12 and 12 at home right now. You know, that's not dreadful, but... It's got to get better. They've, they've got to go on a really good home court run over these next 23 games here. And I think that I think that nine uh, – no, sorry. Um, I think it's 14 of the 23 games are at home. I believe that my math is right on all of that. So I think it's 14 of the 23 games are at home for this last stretch. And, of course, Joe Prunty, he's going to take over the coaching duties – uh, I brought this question up earlier, I, I, and I talked about it with Dukes and Bell. What if, what, what if, when Mike Budenholzer left the organization and they decided to go with Lloyd Pierce and bring him in from Philadelphia and all that good stuff, what if they'd have gone with Taylor Jenkins, if they would have promoted Taylor Jenkins, who was on Budenholzer's staff with the Hawks, he'd been here for five years, what if they'd have promoted Taylor Jenkins? Now, if you don't know about Taylor Jenkins, so after Mike Boonholzer left, he followed Boonholzer up to Milwaukee, was there for a year or two, and then since then, he's been the Memphis Grizzlies head coach. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 35 and 22 right now and sitting in number two in the Western Conference, and obviously they've got themselves a star player in John Morant, and they've been good for a couple few years now. What if Taylor Jenkins had been promoted to the head coaching job? You know, and look, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But it's just food for thought to think about that, you know, we had a guy here on our staff that has turned out to be a really good coach. Not just Mike Budenholzer, who's now a championship coach, but a guy like Taylor Jenkins who's doing really good things. And by the way, by the way, too, their roster is age-wise younger than the Hawks and from an experience level is younger than the Hawks. And right now he's 38 years old. He could have been here for a long time. Those are those things, I mean, look, woulda, coulda, shouldas, I understand, you know, it's time and place and everything else that goes along with it. But, you know, when you have these guys that are here and they've spent some time here. Again, Taylor Jenkins was an assistant with Mike Budenholzer for five years, so he knew the organization, he knew the team, knew the staff, knew knew everybody here. It's not like he was one, a one-year guy or anything like that. He'd been here for five years with Boonholzer. So just food for thought to think about. 
All right, speaking of uh, food for thought, let's get to something that we call What's Bugging Chuckery. Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. <laughs> like, that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for What's Bugging Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. You know, how many times have I said on this show that college basketball is the sleaziest, most disgusting sport on earth. It makes the IOC and FIFA look like a Mother Teresa-run organization. College basketball is the dirtiest, filthiest, scummiest, grimiest sport on earth. And now you have this whole situation with Alabama and Nate Oates, their coach, not Hall and Oates, but Nate Oates, their coach, O-A-T-S, not O-A-T-E-S. Nate Oates is their coach. And he did, I guess it was a presser yesterday, talking about this whole situation where um, Brandon Miller took a gun to a, a teammate. And by the way, there's text messages now about, you know, hey, can you bring me my gun Text messages now that we know about that Brandon Miller brought the kid this gun and it was used in a murder, okay? Well, the tone-deaf part of what Nate Oates had to say is the fact of, here's his quote. Well, you know, and, and it's I can read it like I'm Leo, right? Well, you know, we knew about that. You know, well, you can't control everything a guy does outside of practice. Yeah, nobody knew that this was going to happen. You know, college kids are out and about. Brandon, you know, hasn't been in any trouble, nor is he the type of guy that's, you know, trouble in this case. But, you know, just wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, are you kidding me? First off, the idea that these, and I've said this for years on this stage, the idea that these coaches don't know what goes on. They send guys to look over them. You don't have you have a finite number of players on your team, right? You send guys to track where they're at, GAs or whatever, student assistants, you know, managers for the team, whatever. That follow up. Well, you know, things just happen, you know. Well, wrong place, wrong time, huh? The kid that was involved in this murder is texting his best player, uh, yeah, can you bring me my gun? This is so tone deaf from this guy. And again, he he's in line that he could potentially win a national championship. He could potentially win the SEC championship. He could potentially win the national championship. They may be the number one seed overall. In the, in the tournament, in the NCAA tournament. But what have I said for years and years and years? Hell, Rick Patino just bought some guys, some hookers. This is a guy that's, you know, ah, just, you know, go get my gun and, you know, give him the gun and everything like that. This is the sleaziest sport in the world. And, and let me tell you, you know, the – the thing about it is, and and this is one of the things, that one of the 50 things, 
that has turned me off to college basketball because it's dirty and filthy. The Roy Williams, the Rick Patinos, the Jim Beheim. Have you seen Jim Beheim lately here? You know, he's all pissy about these cop that the questions that he's getting about, you know, from reporters and stuff like that. And, and from one of the student reporters at uh, for the school newspaper or whatever. Oh, well, I don't think you're very professional. Jim Beheim's the biggest jack leg in the world. He's the biggest jag off in the in the history of two-legged people. Are you kidding me? It's all those things that turn you off to college basketball. Forget the fact that nobody knows who the players are. Nobody stays around anymore. Nobody knows what this guy, that guy is. You know, again, I could probably name you every roster in the 1985 season from the Big East. I'd probably name you Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova, Boston College, Pitt. Probably go right down the list of everybody because we knew who they were. Now it's, who are these guys? And now you have Hall and Oates out there, you know, oh, you know, yeah, it, it's Leo. Oh, yeah, it's wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, anything can happen in a short, I'm surprised they didn't say this. Yeah, anything can happen in a short series. Guys that have no clue. And then they bury their head in the sand and like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what goes on. Oh, hey. I don't know what goes on. I, I, you know, I don't watch him outside of practice. Yeah, right. That was Roy Williams' excuse. I, I don't know what goes on. I, I wipe my hands of all of it. Yeah, right. You don't have 83 guys on scholarship. You got like a dozen, 15 guys on scholarship. It ain't 83. And you got people that can follow them around. I just gave a guy a gun, just... Wrong place, wrong time. It's you know. I, do you know who the comedian Nick DiPaolo is? I do not. Okay, Nick DiPaolo is one of the most sarcastic comedians. He's fantastic. Okay. Go look up Nick DiPaolo. But he was joking in a stand-up one time, and he was talking about. Um, he was talking about yeah. I was watching the news the other day, and a drive-by. Uh, a guy got shot at a gas station in a drive-by shooting. And the the uh, a friend of his or something like that says, the, a, a friend of the guy that got shot or whatever like that, he says, well, you know, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Nick DePaul says, where the F do you go when your gas tank's on E? <laughs> Chucky, he said, where do you yeah. go when you, where the F do you go when your gas tank's on E? Chucky e. Cheese? <laughs> Wrong place, wrong time. Just one of those things. Cinderella story out of nowhere. Can't really be wrong place, wrong time when you were asked to show up. Yeah, when when <laughs> when you got a text message from the guy, hey, uh, can you bring me my gun? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 we can do all that. I mean, it's ridiculous, these guys. But there again, this is why college basketball is the filthiest, most disgusting sport on earth. Worse than FIFA, worse than the IOC, worse than everything. Again, they make those organizations look like Habitat for Humanity. Come back from the top of the hour. We'll respond to Andy and Randy's interview with Landry Fields. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com app.